Good morning. It's good to see everyone here this morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, you can open it to Galatians 6. Galatians chapter 6. I'm going to read 6 through 10, verse 6 through 10. Paul says under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are of the household of faith. I want us to pray, and I, I want, to, want us to pray for, I've had quite a few families this week tell me that they're, not, that they're under the weather, not feeling well. We've got a few families that are traveling and, and, uh, and I think probably if I wasn't a preacher, I probably wouldn't have been here one out of the last three weeks. Um, so, but let's, let's pray for them. Pray for those who are under the weather. The allergies are, are getting on top of people. And we'll pray for those who are traveling. Um, they're, they're a part of this body, even though they're not here with us physically this morning. We'll pray for healing and pray for safe travels. <clears throat> Lord, we thank you for this day that you have allowed us to gather together, Lord, and and it, we, feel, uh, we feel the void when, when we're not all here together. Um, we feel great concern for those who, are, who couldn't be with us today. Um, uh, as a shepherd, as an under-shepherd, uh, it, it is uh, concerning uh, for, for them, and we, we lift them up to you, Lord. We know that there are many who are not feeling well today who are under the weather and who are trying to get better. Um, and so we pray for them and we lift them up to the great physician um, who not only brings healing spiritually but also brings healing physically. And so we, we thank you for your grace and your mercy in our life. We pray for those who are traveling, who are traveling because of work, some who, have, who are working in other states, um, some who are on vacation, um, and some who are just working here <clears throat> on this day and traveling uh, locally. Um, we, we pray, Lord, that you would bless them and, and keep them. And for everyone not here, we pray that even now they would feel that they are missed and know that they are missed by their church family. Um, we pray that you would bless our time now in your word as we continue to uh, go through the book of Galatians as we seek to understand your word and, and to rightly divide it and to apply it to our lives, we pray for the Holy Spirit to have his way with us, to make application to each one of us individually where we need it. And so we just pray that you would keep us and bless us in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So Paul has been teaching in, in our last few sermons, Paul's been teaching that the community of Christ, that is the church, 
is to suffer with and alongside one another. Um, we, are, we are not a people that look at another brother or sister in Christ and see their suffering and say, and send them on down to the next house, right? James says that as well. We're to suffer with one another. We're to bear one another's burdens through thick and thin. Paul tells us that we are to restore one another, meaning walk with them, guide them, give them guidance and counsel, um, weep with them, rejoice with them, but bear one another's burdens and seek to restore one another when one gets caught up in transgressions. This is our part of our biblical calling as Christians, and especially in the local church that we have gathered in. <clears throat> we are to share with one another, Paul says. We are to bear each other's burdens. Last week, you'll remember that Paul tells the church here in, Galat in Galatians and elsewhere that the church is to take care of the pastors who have stepped away from the opportunity to make a living in the world and dedicated themselves to the purity of the church, the doctrinal purity, the congregational unity, and the proper conduct of the household of faith. And Paul says, make sure you're investing in the right things. And so I want to pick up where we left off last week. We, let, we, we finished at verse 7, where Paul gives this general principle. And in verse 8, he adds to it. In verse 8, he says, For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And so Paul breaks this principle that we see in verse 7, and I want to read that again. He says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Forever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And so he gives this general principle in verse 7, and then he breaks it down and gives more detail in verse 8. <clears throat> if one so this is what Paul's saying. If one sows to the flesh, and this is important, and this carries along with what we've been talking about in the process of sanctification, okay? In the process of sanctification. Our sanctification, and I, and I, I hope that I've said this so clearly over the past five or six weeks when we've been talking about sanctification. But sanctification is the process in which we are led by the Holy Spirit and express that we are in Jesus, right? Our sanctification expresses that we are in Christ, and therefore our sanctification, although it's a tug of, tug of war at times, um, it is an expression that we're in Christ. And that the Holy Spirit, because we can do nothing outside of the Holy Spirit, right? Jesus said, if you do not abide in me, you can do nothing. And, and Paul tells us that it's the Holy Spirit that works in us both to will and to do what God delights in. And so, of course, we can't do anything Christian or spiritual without Christ, without the Holy Spirit in us. But when we are pursuing holiness... It expresses that we are in Christ and the Holy Spirit is working in us. Amen? Which is called assurance. God wants us to have assurance. It's not a guessing game. 
God doesn't say, you know what? You may be saved or you may not be. You'll find out at judgment. Good luck with it. No, that's not not the benevolent, merciful, gracious God that we have. There are signs, and and I'll I'll, I'll relabel that. There There is fruit that shows up in your life that is an expression that the Holy Spirit is working in you. Okay? And so if one sows to the flesh, if one's life is sowing to the flesh, then it shows that that person's hope is in this life. Paul says elsewhere, um, here, here you go, guys, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we'll die. Right? That was, that was a worldly philosophy of Paul's day. It's still a worldly philosophy. They don't seem to go away. They just get renamed. And, and, and so in, in Paul's, Paul's day and age, when he's writing these epistles, the, there was a philosophy. Let's, hey, listen, this is it. Fill up your cup of the flesh and enjoy, because when you die, you're nothing. There's nothing after death. Sound familiar? just been renamed. We become nothing, worldly philosophy says. And so when, when we're constantly um, characterized by sowing to the flesh, we prove that our hope is ultimately in the comforts and pleasures, temporal pleasures that this world offers. And Paul says, you reap the fruit of the seed you sow. A life characterized, and and I'll I'll say this, I've said this before, but a life characterized by sowing to the flesh can have no assurance. I know some people don't like this. I mean, I know backsliding has become a negative term, and, and there is a way in which backsliding is abused, Right? But you can backslide. And, and what I mean by that is there are times when we are not walking according to the, to the Spirit. Now, King David was a man after God's own heart. Amen? And what did King David do? Thank you. He backslid so far that he killed one of his very good friends so that he wouldn't get caught because he was with his wife. So I know, I, I know that that we, in our day and age, and especially a few decades ago, there was this carnal Christian movement that was false. But you can backslide as a Christian. The Bible says so and gives us pictures of Christians who backslid. But hear, hear me when I say this. When you are in a backslidden state, you can have no assurance that you're saved until there's confession and repentance and then walking according to the Spirit again, right? And so in Psalm 51, when, Paul, when, when, when King David says, hey, listen, I, I'm hurt against you and only you have I sinned, right? That now King David's coming back to a place where he can have assurance, 
Why? Because now he's coming away from sowing to the flesh and coming back into sowing to the spirit, which lost people cannot do. I love King David. I, I, think about this. Hey, you know what? Here's the sins I did. I'm going to write a song, and we're going to start singing on it on Sundays. You know? Think about that. Man after God's own heart. If this will benefit the bride of Christ, let's do it. It's not about my name as David. It's about the glory of God. And so we can be backslidden, but when we're backslidden, we can have no assurance of salvation. And that's why we need to, what, what does Paul say? When we see a brother or sister caught up in transgression, what do we do? We love them, we care about them, we go to them, we say, listen, I believe you're saved, and I want to help you get back into the right kind of testimony here. You're not enjoying life the way Christ has called you to enjoy. You're not enjoying the fullness of Jesus, the fullness of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to help you, right? So the prophet goes to King David and says, you are that man, David. Praise the God, right? We need those moments, amen? We need those kind of people in our life that can do it gracious and gently. So if one lives a life that shows, or a life characterized by sowing up to the flesh can have no assurance because there is no expression of love for Christ, only love for the cares of the world, which is what the whole parable of the soil basically says, except for the one soil, right? When the cares of the world and the comforts of the world started being taken away, um, they, they cared about those more than Christ. There was no root in them, and they abandoned the faith. There is no expression of love for Christ, only love for the cares of the world. In contrast, if one sows to the Spirit, that path is leading us to eternal life. So if one lives a life that shows a love for Christ, it will manifest in spiritual fruit, which is what I was saying earlier and what I've said multiple times through this series. And spiritual fruit Hear me on this. This is, this is what I was saying. Now, spiritual fruit is leading us on a path of assurance. There is no fruit of the Spirit in an unbeliever's life because they have not the Spirit. Which is why we need to understand what the fruit of the Spirit is, right? Because fruit of the Spirit is not church attendance. Anybody can attend church. The Pharisees had the best attendance. And they made a deal to nail Christ to the cross. Spiritual fruit is leading us on a path of assurance, a path that leads to eternal life. Now, hear me when I say this. Sowing to the Spirit is not what obtains for us eternal life. Sowing to the Spirit expresses that we are on the right path to eternal life. Because who obtains eternal life for us? 
Christ. Christ. Right? We have to be clear on that. Justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, according to Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. But if justification has occurred, then you will be walking on a path that expresses fruit of the Spirit. And that gives you assurance that you're on the path that leads to eternal life that Christ obtained for you. A person who has put their faith in Christ is resting in Christ, not in their fruit. <clears throat> a person who has put their faith in Christ is resting in Christ, and resting in Christ is hoping in Christ. Hear me on that. When you're resting in Christ, you're resting in his person and work. When you are hoping in Christ, you are hoping in his personhood and his finished work on your behalf. And the reward that awaits us is in Christ. So sowing to the Spirit expresses our hope is in Christ. And the eternal life and heavenly world that he promises his bride. Sowing to the Spirit expresses our hope is in Christ and the eternal life and heavenly world that he promises his bride. In other words, we are willing to endure delayed gratification. We are willing to endure delayed gratification. So against the culture in which we live right now. Amen? Everything's instant gratification right now. And the reason why we are willing to endure delayed gratification is because what awaits us by our present investments into the kingdom is a reward infinitely greater than all the treasures and all the comforts that this world can give us. And everything that this world offers fails to satisfy, and it is temporal. Now, <clears throat> Paul gives us a much-needed warning, because when we're sowing, when we're sowing to, the, to the Spirit, um, something happens in our life. If you've been a Christian very long, you're, you're going to understand what I'm saying. Paul says, let us not grow weary of doing good. You ever grow weary of that? You could probably think of a, a dozen or more specific instances, instances in your life that you grew weary of doing good. Probably maybe hundreds if we had time, right? And Paul says, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. What, what he's saying, it's a delayed gratification, but oh, the gratification. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking at this. 
And I'm, I'm thinking, okay, let's, let's, let's ask this some, some questions, right? Why, why, is, why is it so hard to do good? Why do we grow weary doing it? And why, why must we not stop doing good? I'm going to answer those questions biblically. Why is doing good so hard? And here's the thing. Because as non-Christians, we are under the bondage to sin. We are under bondage to sin. And as Christians, we are under the retraining of all of our faculties to do different than we used to do. Think about that. Before Christ, everything we did was self, self, self. Me, me, me. My relationships were so that what I give to you, you would reciprocate in greater ways. It's the truth. Jesus says it. And so as Christians now, we're in Christ. Now we're the, we have the Holy Spirit, and there's this retraining. I mean, think about, it's humbling to think about this, but think about yourself 15 years ago, if you've been a Christian that long. Think about yourself 15 years ago and what you were like and what you're like now. And hopefully you go, ooh, boy, I was a lot, I had a lot more pride back then. I thought I knew more than I knew, right? I mean, if God's been working on us and humbling us and teaching us, we look back at ourselves 10 years ago, 15 years ago, five years ago, and we'll go, I'm glad I'm where I'm at now. And five years from now, we'll probably look back and go, man, I'm glad I'm where, at now, where I'm at now. We are under the retraining of all of our faculties to do different than we used to do than when we were in bondage to sin. This is the bondage that, that Paul tells us that we used to be in. He says in Romans 3, 9 through 18, What then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin, as it is written, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. Listen to this, no one does good, not even one. And now as Christians, we're called to do what? To do good and not grow weary doing it. When at one time in our life before Christ, we couldn't even do it. We had not the capacity nor the faculties to do good. He goes on, their throat is an open grave. And by the way, this is a universal judgment on all humanity, and I'll, I'll speak more to that in a second. Their throat is an open gra grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under the lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And the Bible says replete. It's replete in the word of God that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom. If there's no fear of the Lord, which in, a, in an unbelieving state, there is none. Once we come to Christ and we're regenerated by the Holy Spirit, what happens is we, be, we start to gain wisdom, which informs us on how we can do good. And 
Here in Romans 3, Paul's making this a universal judgment on both Jew and non-Jew, which the Bible would call Gentile. Outside of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit and his work within us, we cannot do good to others in the way that God prescribes. It's important for us to understand. That's why it's so hard to do good. Doing good according to God's will goes against our fallen nature. So to, to just do good biblically takes faith. It takes us waking up every morning and dying to self by the power of the Spirit throughout our day resting in Christ. Leaning on the Spirit of God. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's gospel. Now, that's, that's why we can't, that's, that's why it's so hard to do good, okay? Because it, it goes against our previous life and all the habits that we formed in thinking and behavior, okay? And behavior always follows thinking. But that's our mind. The Bible says, well, what's happening to our mind? It's being transformed, right? It's being renewed, so that we can think differently than we used to think. Because we used to think me, me, me. Now we're supposed to think God, God, God. So that's why we, it's so hard to do good, but why do we grow weary in doing good? And, and th this isn't exhaustive, but, but here, here's the thing. In our fallenness, before we are in Christ, the only way that we that we can uh, that we're trying to find value is in self. It's the only way we're trying to we're seeking self righteousness, right? We're seeking some way to be good enough. We want self righteousness. And that's the only thing we pursue. And in self righteousness, and I've said this before, we must find ourselves more valuable than others. It's a must. So our battle is to remember and rest in this truth. Here's the battle every day. My value as a Christian is not in what the people at work think about me. My value is not in what this club that I'm in, what they think about me. My value is not in what my friends think about me. Ultimately, my value is if I'm in Christ, the value that Christ can give me. That's the only value that matters. And, and when we think about that, then we can be okay with people not liking us. And if we can be okay with people not liking us, then we're okay with them not valuing us. We're called to love the world, not be loved by them. So our battle is to remember and rest in this truth. Our value and the only value that matters is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? What he did on our behalf gave us value that passes the grave. It is not a temporal value. It is an eternal value. And it's the only value that really matters. 
So our value and the only value that matters is found in Jesus, what he did on our behalf, and what he is preparing for us for our future inheritance. And so here's the thing. Let me give you a scenario. You're doing good to someone, and they do you wrong. They're unappreciative. They're not grateful. They're telling people that you're not helping them like you should. And, and, and in that moment, I, I know what you're thinking, right? We know what we're thinking in that moment. But here's the thing. Here's what Christ calls us to do. Christ calls us to say this. My value is not in what this person's saying about me. My value is not in what the people that they're gossiping about me and slandering about me think about me. My value is in obeying Christ, and he calls me to not grow weary in doing good. And if I'm ministering to that person for the glory of God and not the glory of Kent, then I'll get over what they're saying and how they're mistreating me. Do you, do you understand that? Now, you talk about something hard to do. It's so hard that you can't do it outside the Spirit of God. And so we have to, that's why we grow weary in doing good. Because that's why, that's why sometimes we get ministry burnout. You ever been burned out in ministry? So, and I'm not saying this is every time, but sometimes we get burned out in ministry because we start doing ministry with the wrong motive. And so we're not getting what we want from doing ministry, and what we want is maybe self-glory, temporal reward. And so we, we're, we're not getting that, we're not getting that, we're not getting that, and then we're like, man, I'm tired of this. You ever been there? I've been there. I'm just being honest with you now. I've been there. And I think what God does in his grace and benevolence towards us is he restrains the things that we're seeking so that we'll come back to square one and realize we were seeking the wrong things in ministry. And he calls us back to a right motive of ministry, and that's his glory, even if we suffer in ministry, even if we're persecuted in ministry, even if we're crucified and hung upside down in ministry, it's not about the glory of self, it's about the glory of God. Amen. And I think sometimes we get burnt out because we're, we're pursuing it for the wrong reason and God just starts restraining those wrong reasons so that we have to come back to him and go, Lord, what's, what's going on? And he says, I'll tell you what's going on, you're seeking your own glory. The third thing, and y'all have to listen fast, we lose faith in delayed gratification, don't we? Man, it's easy to lose faith in delayed gratification. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. We lose, sight of, we lose sight of and we lose faith that the reward of heaven will be so much more satisfying than the comforts of this world. 
It's easy for us to do. We just really, it's real easy for us to do that. We lose sight of and we lose faith that the reward of heaven will be so much more satisfying and that it is eternal and cannot be harmed, man. The investments that we make into the kingdom by the power of the Spirit are blessings that will not go away. There's eternal reward. They're not going to burn up. They're not going to be eaten by moths and, and decayed. They're not going to be stolen by thieves. So I think we, we lose faith of delayed gratification. We, do, we lose faith of the reward that is much better. And then we, Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good. Why? Why, Paul? Why must we not grow weary in doing good? Why must we not stop doing good? And I want to I be, be clear here. I, I think we need to be clear that doing good is not the same as preaching the gospel. Not the same level. I mean, that, that needs to be clear. And I think in, in the American church that needs to be clear. Doing good is not the same as preaching the gospel. So you can't say, I'm doing good to others so they'll come to Christ if you're not also telling them about Christ. You understand what I mean there, the differentiation. Teaching them the gospel. It's not the same. But, hear me on this, doing good is an attractant to the gospel. It is, it is a, a, a savor of life unto those who are being saved. It's teaching them, or it's an attractant to the gospel. In other words, it does draw people to us. When we're, when we're doing good to people, and, then, and especially like if, they, if they don't reciprocate that goodness and we continue doing good to them, they're like, what's wrong with you? Like, I know that I did you wrong. What's wrong? Why are you forgiving me and continuing to reach out to me and continuing to minister to me? And, and one of the problems with modern-day evangelism is we just go slap somebody with the gospel, and then they say, I'm not interested, and then we have nothing else to do with that person ever. Because all they were to us is a notch on the belt rather than someone we want to invest in and love and pour our lives into. But doing good, is an, it draws people to us. It, it stirs interest and curiosity to why we're being nice. Like, I've done you wrong, and you're still calling up on me. You're still asking how you can pray for me. You're still asking if there's anything you can do for me. I don't understand it. What's going on in your life that you can be that kind of person? Because I don't know many people at all, if, not, if may, maybe not even anybody but you, that behaves like this. And then, what does that do? That opens the door to share 
the gospel and how we would have never been like that towards them if it wasn't for the work of the Spirit of God on us and, and salvation that we've found in Jesus Christ. And then we can share why the gospel is so important to them. It's not only important to me, brother or sister, it's important to you. And so we imitate the Lord when we do such. Doing good for those who cannot return the favor is exactly what our Lord did. Amen? None of us are going to repay the Lord for what he did for us. And doing good for those who are harming you is exactly what our Lord did. Amen? Romans 5, 6, For a while we were still weak at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Romans 5.10, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Did you hear that? While we were enemies, we were reconciled. Now, I'm going to close with this. Maybe. I'm going to have to. Time is Look, I want you to, I want to, I want to close with this. I'm going to try to figure a, a place to stop. But this remarkable statement by the Apostle Paul in Colossians, this is, this is, I don't want to stop before I say this because it's so pertinent to what Paul's saying here when he says, do not grow weary in doing good. Okay? So just forgive me if I go a little bit long this morning. In Colossians 1, 24 through 26, and I want to read these, these verses and then I want to comment on them because they are pertinent to what we're talking about here. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. That's an astounding statement right there. Just stop, camp out right there. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. So I want to go back to verse 24, the first statement there. <clears throat> when Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings, for your sake, Paul is saying, I am bearing burdens for you. There are burdens that I am going through and that I have suffered for your sake. Paul's not just commanding it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He's living it. He's saying, I'm taking on risks and I'm willing to and am suffering for your benefit. And that is what Paul's talking about here in Galatians where he says we bear one another's burdens. And he says here, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. That's an astounding statement. And I, I may have commented on this, on this statement before. But this, this is the statement that has profound meaning for Paul's urging us to not grow weary of doing good. This is why we must not stop 
doing good as Christians. And I'll come back to it. He continues, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Now, first, let's think about this. Part of the burdens that Paul had to bear were for the sake of the building up of the church. I alluded to this last week. I made a, 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 maybe a statement or two last week. And what I mean by that is part of, part of Paul's burdens that he had to bear were for the sake of building up the church. And what I mean by that is the increasing, the, the increasing of the number of the visible church. Paul went into a city. He didn't know if, he was, if the gospel was going to be received or if he was going to be beaten and left for dead. He didn't know if there was a single person that was going to respond to the gospel. He was just obeying his Lord, and he was going, and he was, he was willing to bear and suffer whatever it was for someone or people to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's the same for us. Many times when we preach or teach or tell others of the gospel, they're not aware, at least not admittedly, that they even have a burden they need help with. But they do have one. They have a huge burden, and they may not know it. An eternally significant burden, and we are taking a risk to help them with their burden. And in whatever biblical way we use our Christian giftedness to build relationships with people and talk to them about the gospel, what we are doing when done rightly, we are seeking to help them with their burdens. Evangelism is seeking to help others with an eternal burden that they bear, whether they know it or not. And Paul took that burden on all the time. Now, also, many burdens Paul carried, they were for the health of the church, the purity of doctrine, the unity of the body, the conduct of the body. Paul wept and lamented for the churches. Paul traveled hard paths with many dangers to visit the churches Paul suffered much physically and emotionally for his doctrinal stances in the church, as all of the apostles did. And we see this repeatedly in the New Testament. But Paul says here that a willingness to suffer for the good of the church's health was worth it. That's what he's saying. I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, it was worth it. Look at the church in Colossae. Look at the church in Galatia. There are people who are worshiping the Lord and enjoying life the way God intended. It was worth it, and it pictured something to the church. So Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. Now, how can there be anything lacking in Christ's afflictions, right? I mean, it, I, I may have talked about this before, but when you hear that statement at first, you're like, Paul, that's borderline blasphemy. But when rightly understood, it's not. Because when he says, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, 
He's not really saying that there's anything lacking in what Christ did. But while, what Paul means is this. Christ has already ascended on high. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And those who are being reached with the gospel can no longer see Christ with their eyes. They are not able to actually see Christ suffer for his bride. So what does our bearing each other's burdens do? What does our doing good for others do? What does our willingness to do good to people that don't have goodwill towards us do? It shows the willingness that Christ showed in his incarnation to bless a people that called him their enemy. Do you understand that? What Paul's saying is, is that right now, and, and we can say that in, in our culture, right now, <clears throat> no one is visibly seeing Christ suffer for the church. And so part of the ordained means of the church is that the church embodies that suffering by being an ambassador of Jesus Christ and going to people who do not call him Lord and suffering for their sake so they may have the chance to call him their Lord. And when we do good to others, even when they don't reciprocate goodwill towards us, we are a picture of what Christ has done for his church. And so we aim our good deeds. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We do good to everyone, Paul says. You do good to everyone. Who's your neighbor? Anybody you run into. As much opportunity as God gives within our ability to do so, we do good to everyone. But he also says we prioritize the church. He says especially to the household of faith. And, and here's the thing. People are supposed to look at the church and we're going out, and yes, we're, we're ministering, we're doing good to, to the world, those who are unbelievers. Even if, they're, if, if they don't have goodwill towards us, we're seeking to love them, we're seeking to do good towards them because we know the burden they have is eternally significant. And so they see us loving them in that way, but they, then they look at the church and they're amazed at the love and the unity that the church has for one another and the way the church rallies to each other when, he, when others are going through difficult times. I'll close with this. When I was in North Dakota, one of my dear friends died of cancer. He was in his mid-60s. And as he laid in, in, in that nursing home and suffered until he, until he went on to be with the Lord, I, I visited him, we visited him frequently, frequent, weekly, and we would gather in that room and we would sing hymns and we would pray with him. He 
And sometimes, as we were going in, there were other church members passing out, coming out. And I remember one time this nurse coming up to me and saying, I don't know what it is, but this guy always has guests. And they're always singing hymns. And they're always praising the Lord. And see, when we don't grow weary in doing good towards one another, that's what the world witnesses. And they say, what's this all about? And we say, it's all because of Jesus. And it's all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only reason we do what we do, and it's the only reason we can do what we do because of Christ's graciousness to us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for the Spirit of God that enables us to do the Christian life. We can do nothing outside of you, and we thank you, Lord, for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Help us to love one another. Help us to love the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to not grow weary in doing good. Help us to do good to everyone, but especially the household of God, the church. And Lord, we thank you for this time this morning. We pray that you would bless us as we sing our final song, our closing song. Help us to sing with grateful hearts for all that we have in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we pray it in his name. Amen.